0: Have you seen the building in, I think it's in Marfa, Texas. Um, it's just got, it's an Adobe building as they make buildings in West Texas. That mm-hmm. has the sign in front of it that just says Photoshop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I haven't. But it makes very good sense.
0: What is that? Well, that's the Adobe Photoshop over there, right there. Right. Uh, do you need and an upgrade to that? It. Put some more mud on it. It'll be good.
1: Yeah, that's Cool. <laughs>
0: Once more unto the breach, dear
1: friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Yes.
0: This time it's English. Um, yes. Just as a matter of um, record, uh, that is a quote from uh, Shakespeare's Henry V, The Battle of Harfleur. And we say it because every time we go on the air, we have the opportunity to fill up our career with our own uh, words of of. Um, things that need to be totally corrected, absolutely wrong, or whatever. Um, anybody can be wrong at any point. Please keep that in mind. That includes economists, doctors, attorneys, politicians, police officers, and uh, anybody else. So uh, if I didn't list you in there, please believe I wasn't trying to insult you and do not be triggered. There you go. <clears throat> so uh, what do we have to talk about this particular hour, and I have probably, uh, as as we say, generally you have an elephant in the room. This week we have an elephant in the house, and we will discuss the elephants in the house. I'm
1: interested in hearing what the elephant is that you're referring to.
0: Well, it is a symbol for a political party. Oh. So, the elephants in the house that generally we would say, hey, let's not ignore the elephant in the room. In this case, there's elephants in the house that are on one end of the house of elephants saying... No. And on the other end, the majority of them are saying, well, yes. Uh, So there is a political struggle in the GOP, in the Republican Party. uh, And you can see it in Texas at the state level. You can see it in just about everywhere where the Republicans are in charge right now. This is running parallel with the elections, the presidential elections, because there's a group of people that are saying one thing and a group of people that are saying a completely different one. You, if you follow politics, know what those groups are. It really doesn't matter from a big picture viewpoint, from the economics viewpoint. What we're looking at here is that we have two political parties. And when you have two political parties, they generally pit themselves against each other. When one party gets to be in charge, so they, say, have both House and Senate and the uh, executive branch, the presidency, or at the state level, they have the House, the Senate, and the governor, uh, lieutenant governor, all that stuff. You tend to start to see whichever party that is splinter and fight each other because now they don't have to fight the other party, they have their own little agendas to deal with, and it becomes the, the two uh, ends of the party's political spectrum rather than the two ends of the country's political spectrum. So in Texas, we have the hard right fighting the not-quite-so-hard right. At the federal level, we have the hard right fighting the not-quite-so-hard right. When I say this, is, it's kind of irrelevant about parties – this is why, demographically, when we look at a big picture, we see the same thing happening in Europe. The hard right party is fighting the not-so-hard right party, but the left-wing party is kind of standing off to the side and going, what is going on right now, but not having as much sway as they used to as the others bicker that are generally partners. And we see this repeatedly in history. Why am I bringing up politics in economics? Because where the government is, is a big chunk of the economy. They have federal employees that receive a very large amount of money. There's defense spending that is a very large amount of money. Uh, The GDP and the government of the budget, we measure our debt per year as a percentage of GDP. We measure our budget per year as a percentage of GDP, and it's a pretty good chunk of it. We're talking about um, 20 to 30% of the economy. And while we were terrified earlier in the year because we didn't have enough money to pay the bonds if the government shut down, now we got enough money on hands for extraordinary measures again. We can do that. It's going to be expensive if we have to do that with interest rates being what they are. If we jump in and try to make a bunch of bonds get a bunch of loans, we're going to get at a higher interest rate. This is what happened just a few months ago when we avoided a government shutdown. The government has to spend more money on its bonds now because it's more expensive because they threatened the shutdown and they're doing it again. In this case, we have enough money to pay the bonds, at least for a while. Who's going to be affected by this? Federal employees. Um, is basically if you work for the government, if you are, uh, in the military, if you are any type of federal employee, you're going to get no money. You're going to be told to stay at home. And in some cases, if you're Told to stay at home, you don't get paid. In other cases, you get paid for your time for not working, which is more expensive for the government because they paid you for doing no work, which is really a bad idea if you're trying to cut back on the budget. (sighs) You you know, people that have listened to us for very long know that we believe in responsible spending at the governmental level. And we point the finger at everybody, including ourselves, saying, we're spending a lot of money, way more than we're taking in in tax revenue, and we could be taking in more tax revenue by raising taxes. We're not. I certainly don't want personally higher taxes, but when we look at the government, that might be a deal. Nobody wants to do that.
1: We could also take in considerably more tax revenue. It wouldn't quite balance the budget, but it would get it within range of of making it work um, by simply increasing the funding to the IRS because the probably detectable, if you had the manpower to do it. See, now you're really stepping in the minefield, giving money to the tax collectors. (gasps) And the bottom line to it is, if you don't like the huge deficits and you don't like the huge national debt, the least painful way to correct that would be to allow the IRS to audit. In other words, look at the various returns that they have flagged as unlikely to be correct. They don't have the manpower to do this. As a matter of fact, since the cuts by Congress in their budget, um, they have basically stop doing walk-in audits in other words where they come to your business they don't have the they don't have the budget for it they don't have the manpower for it um, and in doing so there is probably something approaching the amount of the deficit in un, in illegally unpaid taxes
0: it, it may not be that high because I've seen estimates that it's a quarter of the deficit so what are we saying here none of us like the concept of being audited. I don't like the idea that the IRS could show up with no cause and want to audit us and shut down basically our time for an extended period of time to get data back to the government. However, if our system is based on paying taxes when you owe the taxes then we have to enforce it it's just that's just the reality if we had a law that says you're not allowed to kill but we're not going to hire anybody to arrest you for it then the law probably won't get followed as well as we want it to and paying taxes in the united states is both parties agree on this i know that's weird gasp a minute that everybody as far as the the majority of both parties agree that if you're cheating on your taxes that's bad yep We in the United States agree on that. That's not true in Mexico. It's not true in Greece. It's not true in many countries where they believe that everyone else should pay their taxes, but I shouldn't. And that's on surveys. People answer this on anonymous surveys, and it's across lots of countries. In the United States, we believe that it's important that you pay your taxes if you owe them. And I think that's a cultural standpoint that we don't want to get rid of eventually if we don't enforce that you pay taxes people will lose that belief that it's important to pay your taxes cuz some component of the fear and wrath of the IRS is why some people pay taxes they would not pay taxes if they weren't terrified that the IRS was going to show up one day there's a, the majority of us are willing to pay the taxes if we know what we owe and you know it's no fun I don't want to pay, I don't want to write a check to the IRS, but I recognize that's my price to exist in this country and get all the benefits that I get in this country. So paying taxes is important, making sure you pay the right amount. And we happen to have an extremely, extremely complex tax code. So there's another thing we could do to make this work better. We could simplify the tax code, not simplify the way you file taxes, but simplify the code itself. I know this is a pipe dream, but the reality is that no one person anywhere understands the United States tax code in its entirety. It's too complex. You have experts on specific parts of it that are kind of sort of familiar with other parts of it, but it's way too complex. There's different tax brackets for different commodities. There's different... um, approaches to managing retirement accounts if they're qualified non-qualified if they're government or non-governmental and and it was never it's never been simplified so we spend a huge amount of money on tax preparation um, and if you consider that Tax preparation, money paid to prepare taxes above just knowing how much you spent, organizing it the way that the government wants it when it's so obtuse and difficult, we spend a huge amount of money on that. If instead that money went to tax revenue, and at the same time, we made it simple enough to know when you owed. Because a lot of people, even with all the efforts out there today to check to see if you own digital assets, what does that mean? like cryptocurrencies. A lot of people that made money in the crypto boom simply didn't pay any taxes on it. We're talking about billions, like with the B. Lots of those billions during 2000 or during 2021, 20 early part of 2022, there were a lot of sales with huge gains that simply aren't getting taxes charged on them because the IRS isn't geared up to chase them down. At this point that money's been spent. But that doesn't mean we can't go and claw that back and do the auctions like we did for Willie Nelson. Uh, I'm not saying that Willie Nelson is, and I, I think he's my hero, but he didn't know that he was supposed to be paying taxes way back when his tax issues arose. And the tax code is a lot more complex today than it was back then. So if we made it simplified, it would cost less to do taxes. It'd be easier to know what you owed, so the government would actually get the revenue, and it would be timely. Most businesses at this point don't file their taxes until September for the previous year. That slows down revenue growth. You can't get the taxes in if you don't know how much is owed. So why do they wait so long? Because the complex tax code is so complex that it takes nine months after the year's been done to figure out what the year was. I mean, you know what it was because if you have more money in the bank, you made a profit. But if you're a business owner, you, I'm speech, I'm, this is to the choir. <laughs> you could totally know this already. If you're an employee of a corporation, you may not. So there are things we can do immediately without changing a lot of the structural stuff to simplify, to enforce, but we really need a simplified code that will increase revenue. The more complex it is, the more. You can find loopholes. If you have a complex system, you can find weaknesses in that complex system, and you can see those weaknesses in lots of people's returns. So, as, there, as there's, an example,
1: oh, go ahead. There's an example that uh, was presented to Congress when they were having hearings on reducing the uh, this year on reducing the IRS budget. The uh, the commissioner of the, the IRS commissioner, who's the head of the commission, said, among other things, they are pursuing, they're investigating. 100 of the wealthiest Americans who claim residency in Puerto Rico, but in fact don't live there. Because Puerto Rico, even though it's technically part of the United States, they don't pay federal income tax. And uh, there was a whole series of others. For example, there are people who can buy a literally stable of the highest, most expensive cars they've identified who aren't even filing an income tax return. And this takes manpower to go and investigate, figure out how people can buy um, a garage, a big garage, build the big garage with multiple places in it and buy the most expensive cars from Europe and still not owe any income tax. And those are the things that they were using, the the budget increase they had. They were He listed those at the top of the list and they're on hold now, those issues, because they had their budget cut. And I realize it's very unpleasant. I don't care for the IRS. Uh, I will say that uh, I've heard some terrible horror stories about IRS agents doing stupid things. Personally, I, I have survived an audit very nicely and uh, I have used the ombudsman when things were tight and the IRS was very. Uh, worked with me very well so that I could pay off my taxes in a, in a manner that didn't destroy me during some downturns we had in the past. But there doesn't seem to be factually a serious intent in, particularly in the House of Representatives, to lower the deficit. They, they want, and this is kind of a goofy thing. It's as if whatever party is not in power wants a high deficit you mentioned various parties shutting, the both parties shutting down the government at various times. They want something that people don't like so they can position themselves as being against it so that they can raise the interest in their party. And whichever party is out of power, uh, not having the White House and the, uh, and the majority in both houses, tends to do exactly that each time. And this is unfortunate to say the least, because that's one of the problems we have right now. And and I think you may have mentioned this, but we spend, we spend about 1.5 times in the United States, the revenue that the United States government takes in every year, very consistently. And why? Well, there's nothing in the, there's nothing major in the budget that anybody wants to cut.
0: And we keep adding to it. And we
1: keep adding to it.
0: And I mean, from our perspective, these aren't easy There are no easy answers here. We're not saying, hey, let's cut defense. We're not saying cut Medicare. We're not saying cut Social Security. Those three items are the vast, vast majority of the revenue we take in. You add Mm -hmm. retirement and other retirement services on that and, and the medical services on that, and it's more than we take in
1: if you if you just pay retirements for for soldiers and uh, the uh, Federal civil Florida. servants yeah. plus Social security plus Medicare plus the defense budget each year,
0: that's it we're done. That's, the Based whole, on that's current, all
1: taxes. Well, we wouldn't, we'd still run a deficit. Yeah. We and, don't take in enough taxes to cover those three items.
0: And that's not even touching on the interest on the debt, which has gotten bigger. So the yeah. reality is that there's no easy place to cut. None of those things, uh, we do not want to cut defense when China's acting the way it is and Russia's acting the way it is. We certainly don't want to cut off pay to social security or Medicare. Well, what does that leave? It leaves we either need to charge more for Social Security and Medicare because it's not going to work otherwise. We need to maybe move the retirement date for Social Security. We need to means test. There's a lot of choices there. Nobody likes those choices. The, the only other factor here is how do we raise the revenue? When we lowered taxes for corporations, we had a net kind of break even. We got a bunch of revenue in on taxes that were owed from the past. They got their amnesty. They brought some money back. It came back to the United States. This was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and it was during the Trump administration. And it worked really well in simplifying and lowering the overall rate for corporations. So revenue has been a net neutral. It's gone up with earnings with corporations. Uh, We didn't lose money at the governmental level by lowering taxes there. If we lowered taxes again, we probably would lose money in revenue there. When we lowered taxes on the personal income side during that same time period, we lowered revenue to the government. As a percentage of the GDP, we made less money in taxes after we lowered the personal income tax rates. That's not fun for me to say because I enjoyed the lower taxes. I am enjoying the lower taxes. They're gonna go back up. In 2026, that's not because somebody's going to pass a law to do it. That was part of the original law. It's going to go back up on the personal side in 2026, so revenue should probably rise there. I'm not excited about it. We're doing advice to clients about how to take advantage of the low rates while we can to get lower payments while we can. If we have taxes due now, we should probably pay them now rather than wait um, to pay them at a higher rate. Uh, so that's those are all things that are components, but we, When there's a government shutdown pending and we can't even agree on what we're trying to agree on, things are not good. Okay, so we've had some big union news lately. Um, a union strike at a big coal plant that's been going for years ended. And it ended with the union saying, we would like to just accept the contract that we had before we started the strike. Complete capitulation at a coal plant. The UAW, that's the United Auto Workers, are doing a strike against Stellantis. They make Jeep against Ford and against General Motors. Now, there's all kinds of pieces to that that are things that the Justice Department should have an eyeball on because when you shut down half of the industry, half of the United States auto builders are to be shut down in this strike when it starts on Thursday. That's antitrust land. That's like if the air traffic control folks shut down, it shuts down the industry. It's not as direct and immediate, but we will see car prices go up across the board again. We will see used cars become more expensive than new cars again, because there won't be enough new cars. It's just that's the way it will be. What's going on here? The United Auto Workers have said clearly that the reason for the st- strike has more to do with saving jobs than about the contracts themselves, than about the pay raises that they're asking for. Um, when uh, the Teamsters sh- uh, uh, did their strike against UPS and that ended with this tremendous salary of $170,000 a year for UPS drivers, there's dangers there. And that UPS is a direct competitor with FedEx. But Amazon is in the process of becoming possibly a competitor as well. They may become a shipping company that's not just shipping Amazon products, because they they have an infrastructure now. They've been utilizing the U.S. mail and the UPS, but they're utilizing them less and less because they have their own people doing it. And UPS is becoming more expensive because they've had to raise their pay. So put that all together, and we have a weirdness going on where unions tend to hit right at a time when new competition is available. The coal workers, when they went on strike, were it's they were fighting the tide when natural gas becomes less expensive than coal, and eventually wind and battery or uh, solar and battery becomes less expensive than natural gas for whatever reason. If technology moves that way, and someone goes on strike to protect coal, it's never going to work because coal's more expensive, and that's just that's just the reality of technology. The United Auto Workers are are trying to protect the jobs of the internal combustion factory workers, the guys and gals that are out there building cars that have lots and lots and lots of parts to control all the little explosions that take place that get us down the road if we're not driving an electric car. And they're seeing the writing on the wall. It's written pretty clean, very legibly. Uh, A lot of money is being spent on developing electric cars because the technology is already passing up internal combustion it's not at its the place where it's going to be the best yet in all cases don't get me wrong i'm not trying to say electric's better than internal combustion it isn't yet but technology is coming and it's in an, it, it is a tidal wave this isn't me saying i think so it is there's the potential for making more efficiencies in electric cars is far more than the potential for the making more efficiencies in internal combustion we've been working on those things for 100 years And we've made them pretty efficient. We can probably continue to make them incrementally more efficient. But the electric side is coming out with exponentially more efficient. It's the difference between a tube television and a flat panel. At the beginning, the flat panels were far more expensive than the huge Curtis Mathis. Same size. Because it was like, whoa, it's flat. That's way expensive. But wow, I want to have that. Eventually, they became less expensive than the huge Curtis Mathis. And nobody bought the huge Curtis Mathis anymore. That's the reality of technology is if it's less expensive to drive a car electrically then more people do it that way. And that's what happens when when technology shifts. And if the union says, hey, I'm about to lose my my job, you can't pay me less just because you're not making a profit on what I do anymore, either the company fails, they fire all the union folks, or, I mean, th- there's not a solution there. And it's unfortunate because there are times when unions are the most important part of a business. Wait, I know all of the people out there listening just heard me do a hunt. A, 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 A complete turnaround, 180 from what I was saying, knocking on the unions. The unions exist for a reason, because corporations, without a check and a balance, become monsters. We know this. We look at it in history. The unions formed at a time when even mentioning that you might join a union could cause you to die, not that's not hyperbole. You were actually killed by your employer. Forget about firing. Let's take it the termination title to a whole new level. Uh, so unions exist for a very valid reason. We have a lot of labor laws that exist because of unions, and sometimes unions do things, in fact, I would almost say majority of times, unions do things that are detrimental to business now. That in order to protect workers, they say, well, you're going to have to have less profit. Well, that's detrimental to business. But in an ecosystem where you want to keep good employees and there's not enough to go around, that makes sense. So unions also do their strikes when labor is tight. There's not enough workers to go around. So we need more money. You got to pay us. The problem with that, as we saw at the coal mining strike is that they hired people to come in they produced less coal but they maintained record profitability at the company so it didn't affect them if you go on strike and you say we're not going to build any more internal combustion cars when you're in the process of building less internal combustion cars you're accelerating the shift to the new technology not slowing it down now the opposite end of that is when a country a, a a governmental organization, whether it be a country or a state like California or Germany saying any new car purchased after X date has to be this new technology that actually slows the technology down because it's not as efficient because it's mandatory. So you have less competition in making the absolute best of it. If you're required to get a solar panel, no matter what its efficiency, then why is the company trying to sell you the most efficient model? They don't even have to develop a more efficient model because the government says you have to buy it. So there's two extremes and they both sound liberal. The unions accelerate the shift to a new technology by making the old technology more expensive at a time when the price needs to drop. And yet the governments decelerate the same technologies by making mandates that caused the companies to say, I don't even have to develop new technology because you're, you're required to buy from me. Now, in the United States, hopefully, it's only going to be a couple of states that say it's a mandatory requirement. So we have good competition and keep prices down and so on. Just let the market do it, guys. Uh, anyway, the, the unions are, I mean, this this moment in history, this time period coming out of the pandemic is one we'll be studying for labor in economics probably for centuries it is vitally important new data and at the same time we've got repetition of stuff that's happened throughout history when the union basically it's flexing its muscle in an industry that's dying and when it flexes its muscle in an industry that dies it accelerates the death and we're about out of
1: time this is the personal wealth coach with jeff and jake maclure
0: uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns a- about songs. Uh, we are uh, a, a finance program, as you would probably guess from the Personal Wealth Coach being our title. The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the title of the program, it's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. All right, well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir?
1: I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right.
0: That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is. And it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on, this stu- in, on this station, 1400 AM in Temple since 1996. We've been doing this a long time and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also Damn. have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for, on the studio, uh, on the channel for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were and, we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes.
1: The information we present on this educational radio program. Has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information.
0: And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally and portfolio management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally, voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree
1: during the week at? 254-947-1111. You
0: can reach that line tool free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN.
1: And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly.
0: Uh, You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades. uh, And you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, Thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.